I've been caught up in the, in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I'm so glad for you. Again, all of you are visiting. If you're visiting online, thank you. Pat, we're praying for you this week at the going of your mama down in Arkansas and have been and, and everybody that needs a touch. We're praying for the Minnick family this week at the passing of Alex Minnick, Dr. Johnny Minnick's brother. And you talked to Carol, his wife, uh, several times, and she's really having a difficult time, and I can understand that. But we're going to hold them up in prayer and um, just trust the Lord to heal help. He does help, doesn't he? Now, you all have worshiped God. You didn't worship worship. You worship God. Will you preach with me? Will you do that? Will you all do that here too? Praise the Lord. Let me ask you, if you're in the congregation, will you preach with me this morning? Boy, if you do, we're going to have a time. Amen. John and Helen, good to see you. We've got such wonderful, wonderful family. I'm telling you, praise God. And all of you that are here this morning, as they're getting settled, thank you. I have talked about, oh, I do want to just mention in the coming weeks, um, I'm going to introduce a program that we've had for many, many years, but I haven't done a good job. With, with introducing it to you, and it's called 100 at 100, and that's where we commit an offering every month for the mortgage payment of this church. It's $7,500 a month, and we've paid this down from over $2 million to about 850000 Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> and I, my goal is to pay this joint off. How, how many? Amen. And if you want to know what this joint means, it's this property, and then next door, all that beautiful property, all the way up to the highway, uh, to the health department up there, all that vacant land, all this nine acres is our land. So we've got quite a little nice spot here, and I want to get it paid off so we can start doing something for other churches and other ministries around the country every month. So I'll be talking to you about a commitment there. Ruth and I have always done twice as much as we've asked anyone but if we all work together, we're going to get this thing knocked out. And I have just not done a good job of promoting that uh, monthly offering. Not tithe, it's offering. It's above your tithe. But God will bless you just the same. This year, God has given me, <clears throat> and you're online, you're, I want you involved in the 100-100 as well too. God has given me a theme this year. And the theme that God gives me every year is not a cliché. It's not a snappy little something that we can, t it's um, a directive from God for this church. And if I look back in the last 21 years and look at all of the different themes that God has given me, they are, <clears throat> it's phenomenal. It's only his divine genius that links them all together. And he links them together in an in a cr incredible way for us to look back and see God's leading us. He's leading this church. Someone came to me about 10 years ago and said, this isn't the same church that you had when we first started. And I said, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I don't believe in evolution, but I believe involving in evolving in the spirit. Amen. It's called growth. And we want to grow. And our growth isn't based on numbers. It's based on depth. A little bit different concept. But I believe depth is more important than numbers. Amen. So that's why we preach and teach what we do in this house. This is a house we don't compromise the gospel. We're not self-righteous in regard to it. But we, and we, we're not the ones that believe we're the only ones doing it right. There's so many good churches in America. I pray every Sunday morning 
with about five great pastors across the United States. And I listen to them, and I know God's moving and working in their churches and in their ministries. And it tells me that there is a church, a vibrant church called the Bride of Christ in America today. And we have to understand that the Bible wasn't written to America. We get to thinking that. We start wondering. We, are, we have been called by God to be an evangelist for the world. And at this particular point in time, our government has turned against God and has said, we don't need God. Well, na- nations have done that in the past, and they've suffered the responsibility of not having God as their covering. And I think we'll see those things. But as for the church, the church is going to be in good shape. Amen? And if you're in the church, say amen. Amen. I'm telling you the church is going to be in good shape. God's going to bless and protect and keep it and do things for people in the church, the family of God. That's unbelievable. But in this year, the Lord gave me this very, very real theme that this is the year of battle. And as soon as he gave that to me, I emotionally responded with, oh, no, not another one. And then the Lord said, hush. Well, he said, shut up and listen. That's what he said. I've got more to say. How many has ever interrupted God? <laughs> See, if you'll listen, he, he might have another sentence there. How many has ever told God how to do it when you didn't think he was doing it the way he should do it? Amen. little to the right, little to the left. That's about right. Now you're getting it, God. How many believe that you understand your circumstance better than God does because he's back there when they wore sandals? And, yeah. <clears throat> That's common. I've done all those things. But I found out that God's contemporary and futuristic. The Holy Spirit isn't based on America. The Bible isn't. They've, we've been used as the evangelists for the world and now we've turned away from God as a nation, but the church is growing stronger and deeper. The church is going to be caught up. You see, there will be a day when the trump of God, the trumpet of God will sound, and the Bible says that the dead in Christ, those who have died that are children of God, the dead in Christ will raise up out of, the, out of death into eternal life, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up. That word caught up if you interpret that is where we get rapture from. That word rapture is not in the Bible, but the catching away means the rapturing of the church. And we'll be raptured in an instant, a moment, a twinkling of an eye, one ten thousandth of a second. We're going to go from here to there. Now, if you get car sick in elevators, <laughs> it's going to be a quick trip. That's all I'm going to tell you. You're not going to have time to get car sick. It's going to be bam, and you're going to look around and go, I like this better already. There's not a person in history that's ever died on this earth, as sad as the death may be, or as much as you think you'll miss this world or our families or our needs or what we have. There's not one recorded time in history that a child of God has died and gone to heaven and went all shucks. Amen? The second we're in the presence of God, and you take that first breath of it, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Oh, I like this. That's what it's going to be like. For eternity. Isn't that incredible? 
It's more than we can imagine because the world has so many false ideas and false gods and, and fables and, and, and Greek God and all this stuff, mythology and these things. It's hard to believe that there is a reality, but I'm telling you there is a reality and it's found through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way. The Bible says there's no other way to, to come to God or to be saved except by and through Jesus when I was a young Christian, I really got mad at God. I said, well, that's not fair. I know him, but what about the pygmies in the Congo? I don't know why I kept picking on the pygmies in the Congo. And I'm sure that's where they live, I hope, because that's where I put them. And one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you don't know what you're saying. I said, I do too. I know what I'm saying. I'm saying, I've been given chance after chance and chance. And there's people on this earth that have never heard your word. And God spoke this to me and he said this. I'm omniscient and I'm omnipresent. How do you know? How do you know how I communicate with people? Do you think I love them? Are you more than I love them? And I begin to think, No. I'm sure you love them too. Then how do you know I haven't made provision? So I've come to the comfortable place to know that God loves the entire world. And in his way, and in a way that works for them, he communicates himself to them. And we're going to be shocked to see who goes to heaven. And I'm not going to say the other half of it. But serving God is more than a commitment. It really is. It takes commitment, but it's more than a commitment. Serving God is an understanding and a decision to believe that He is who He is, the Scripture says, and He rewards those who believe that He is the Son of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, and gives us eternal life. So I want a reward when I get to heaven, don't you? But on the way, we're going to have battles. And as soon as he said that and I got over the, oh my goodness, he said, this is also the year of victory. With every battle, there's a victory. And then he gave me the scripture that he gave Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel in the past, for the battle is the Lord's. Amen? Amen? Now, I wanna, I'm going over these things because I don't know how many weeks I'm going to be speaking to you on the characteristics of the battle. The first week I t came to you, and it was how we approach <clears throat> the battle, how we approach it. The second week is how we perceive or how we see. Then I talked to you about the involvement, our involvement, and then the next week, God's involvement. This week, I want to talk to you about a different area, and I want to talk about the weaponry of the battle. Amen? Now, I'm telling you this definition, and I want you to remember, because the Holy Spirit gave it to me. Battles are spiritual in nature. Because the world doesn't have the joy or the opportunity or the privilege of having battles. Oh, yes, they do. No, they don't. The world has tribulations and trials. 
I've had tribulations and trials. Anybody in here had trials and tribulations? But when it comes to battles, this is a spiritual situation. This is an event that God chose for me to be honed and molded and shaped and placed in his hand for him to teach me who he was in a newer, deeper way for me to grow in him. That's the nature of a battle. And if you're not saved, you don't get that privilege. And people say, well, what's the privilege of having a battle? I can tell you there's an enormous privilege because I've never gone through a battle with the Lord that on the other side I didn't look back and go, oh, my goodness. I've never gone through a battle that I didn't look back and say, God, I actually said this one time. I went through a very difficult time. And when I looked back through it, I said, God, I could not have learned what I've learned about you and know what I know about you with a Harvard degree in theology. No school could have taught me. No service could have brought me. But when I went through the battle with you and I didn't give up or quit, I didn't walk away, and it looked impossible at times. It looked absolutely awful, one-sided. I felt lonely. I felt abandoned and betrayed, and I betrayed, and all these emotions. At the end of it, when I looked back, and I went, my God. Pastor Emily said, you don't play fair. God doesn't play fair. If he did, we'd all be in hell. We have betrayed. We've walked away. But he's faithful. The scripture says this, that when we are faithless, that means no faith, he remains faithful. He's your rock. He's your rock. He's your stalwart, stalwart. Oh, pastor, if you knew what I was going through right now, God does. Look at me, everybody. Look at me online. Jesus knows. He knows. And Jesus cares. If you're online, Jesus knows. Jesus cares. I remember walking out one night in the middle of a battle. I didn't know it was a battle because I had to learn over the years. You just think they're all trials. You just think they're all, what have I done? Or this is something I have done. Or I'm just getting paid back for. Let me tell you something about your salvation. When you got saved, he removed your sin. That's your past. That's all the things that went with it, all the stuff that you regret. But don't let regret turn into guilt in your life because he removed your guilt. Regret says this, I have remorse for what I've done. That's okay because remorse will cause you to hate the sin or the failure in your life and love the God that forgave you and decide to follow him more and tell people what happened to you and warn them. Regret is okay, but guilt keeps you a sinner. Well, you don't know my past. I was a, you were a. Let's get the English right. And you're not now. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're washed. You're even God has made it so clear. You're reborn from death to life. And you cannot go back. 
Nicodemus was in his 80s when he came to Jesus. He was in the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme court of the Pharisees. He comes to Jesus by night because he didn't have the courage to be seen in daylight, but he knew there was something about him. And when he came to him, he said, what do I have to do to have what you've got, what you're offering, what I see? You see, the people around Jesus were poverty in many of them. Some of them, there was a physician in his group by the name of Luke. There was a tax collector by the name of Matthew, who was Levi. There was others that are fishermen and common. And he said, but there's something about knowing you. And Jesus said to this man, you've got to be born again. This was a very intelligent man. He was well-versed in the 613 laws of Moses. He could tell you what the Torah said, what the Talmud read. He knew it. He followed it. He taught it. But this concept came, and what Jesus was saying, you have to have everything about your past die, and you've got to be born again. You've got to start all over. And I'm the one that can do it. There should have been a lot more amens than that. How many have been born again? All right, then don't live in your past. When the enemy brings it up, what you need to say is take that up with Jesus. Take it up with Jesus. I do not have a past. God said in his omniscience, it's all-knowing, I have chosen He has refrained himself. Only God can refrain himself. But he said, I have refrained myself from knowing, and I have removed your sin and put it in the sea of forgetfulness, and I don't know who you were. I see who you are. For that reason, we need to live like we are saved. Not halfway saved. Not a reformed sinner but cleansed and forgiven. But my past keeps coming to me. It comes to me in me. It comes to me in people. And it comes to me by, the, look at the stamp on the letter that comes to you and talks about your past. It's, the stamp has a picture of Lucifer on it because it's from the devil. <clears throat> well, I can't just forget it. No, but you can learn from it. You can grow from it. And you can warn people about it. The the weaponry of the battle. How we perceive it. How we approach it. How we perceive it. How we're involved. How God's involved. Now the weaponry. We have entered this year. And listen to this truth. As the Holy Spirit gave me, I wrote it down. We've entered this year anchored in the rock, fasting. We've entered this year anchored in the rock that cannot be moved or displaced. We've come with fasting and prayer. We've entered 2024 with a covenant word that battles are coming and are here. However, we have turned the ownership of every battle over to Jesus. Well, I haven't done that yet. Well, you can today. 
<clears throat> I haven't been able to. You have to turn it over to Jesus and ask him to help you. Knowing the purpose of our battles was the basis of his coming and living among us. He took our burdens and the burden of sin. He took our heartaches and our trials upon himself. And given every person on this earth the opportunity to be anchored and secured by the blood and the name of Jesus. There's your anchor and there's your security. The blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. We will never cease to preach the power of the blood of Jesus. Or the power of the name of Jesus in this house. We're his. We're saved. And kept by one name and one name alone, regardless of race, creed, or color, the free gift of salvation and the complete forgiveness and healing and total restoration of my mind, my body, my spirit comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. And it is in and through and by the name of Jesus that we have access to eternity in heaven with him. And all this to bring, look at this, and all of this for the purpose of bringing glory to God. I want to tell you something about battles. Never one time as a child of God does Jesus allow you to enter a battle with just the thing of you're going to learn more, you're going to grow more, that happens. I'm going to hone you more in the image of me, that happens. But the end result of a battle, every battle, if you look at the life of David, it wasn't to make David great, it was to bring glory to God. Pardon me, so you have to understand that every battle is something God allowed you as a child of God to come into with a guarantee that there's going to be a victory and with the, with the guarantee that if you'll go through the battle and not look at, say, look what I've done or look what I've become, or look, but look at it as God teaching you and growing you. If you'll go through that battle, you're going to find out that the purpose of the battle is to bring glory to God. <clears throat> and when you learn that, then the battle has the purpose God has given for us to have. <clears throat> this has all come through the name and the power of the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> we're his and we're saved. And we're kept by one name and one name alone, regardless of race, creed, and color. The free gift of salvation and complete forgiveness Healing and total restoration, mind, body, and spirit comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. And in that, and through him, and by the name of Jesus, we have access to eternity with God. And all of this is to bring glory to God, and it has purpose in our life. So how do we approach the battle? That was the first message we preached. How we perceive or how we see the battle that we're going in. Is it something I've done? Why this? And all of this blame stuff and self-pity. There's a famous, famous man that's written a book called Total Forgiveness. His name is Dr. Um, R.T. Kendall. Now, let me tell you about R.T. Kendall. He's a very good friend of mine. I have a Bible in my office he's given me. 
He's preached in this church in our beginnings. And R.T. Kendall told me one time, we were riding in the car, and he said to me, Sam, there's the twin towers of sins in life that he's written books on. The tower of self-pity and the tower of self-ego. He said those are the two twin towers of sin in your life. I think I'm something or I think I'm nothing. And if you look back and think about it, they're pretty effective, anti-effective towers. I'm pitiful. I didn't deserve this. Why this? I just went through one battle. Apparently didn't learn much. If it's a battle. But here I am. And now I'm entering another battle. But here I am. Well, the here I am is because of the God has kept you and keeps you now. It's how we approach it. It's how we perceive or see the battle. It's our involvement in the battle and God's participation in the battle. And now we come to the weaponry of the battle. Ephesians chapter 6. When we look at Ephesians chapter 6, for the first 12 verses, I would say, no, I'm sorry, for the first nine verses, it talks about things we think that aren't associated with battles. Now, I'm not going to pull those scriptures up. I'm going to start with chapter 6, verse 10. But let me just tell you, the first nine verses talks about children obeying your parents. Parents being good to your children. Husbands honoring your wife. Wives honoring your husband. People, they say slave and masters, obeying and honoring the person you're working for. And the person you're working for, obeying God and honoring you. And do all of this with joy. And do it as a testimony to God, not of yourself. Trust God in everything you do. And then in all of a sudden, in verse 10, there's an abrupt change. And in verse 10, the Bible says this, finally... Now, let me tell you why all of this in the first part goes along. He's saying, if you do these things, children obey your parents and honor them. Husbands, wives, honor each other and obey the Lord. Do the best you can do in your workplace and in the, in the area where you're in in the public. He's saying, by doing this, you're laying a firm foundation for my strength to be your strength. <clears throat> And if you don't have a firm foundation, you can't have the promises of God. First thing we do is look at where am I doing wrong? What am I not doing right? I did, that is not what that means. That means this. <clears throat> do your best to serve me. Do your best to be an example of me in life. And when you mess up, ask me to forgive you. And I will, and learn from it and grow. Don't stay in the mud. And when you do that, all of a sudden your foundation goes from sand to solid rock. And you have something to stand on. And then he says this. After you have determined to serve me, after you've determined to have a foundation that's solid, he says this in verse 10. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. 
Hmm. I read that for many years and I saw that and I didn't look at the first nine verses. I just looked at that, what do I say, read how? I just looked at that and thought, God, you're commanding me to be strong, so I have to be strong. No, he's saying, if you do these first nine verses, you will be strong. What's that mean? That means you can't just claim the promises and glory of God and live a halfway Christian life. You can't just be, well, my personality or who I am or that's just me doesn't cut it with God. When you were saved, you were born again, you were recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, in the very nature of Christ, and you have the availability of his love and life in you, and we have to live that to the fullest. That's all he's saying. Live your walk with me to the fullest. And when you do, then he can say to you, finally, now that you have a firm foundation, be strong. And guess what? You can be because you built a foundation. You're not a creep or a jerk anymore. There's not one young lady in this church, and they're working children's church today. And we have the rare privilege of having Pastor Greg and Julia with us. But there's not... One young lady or young man, I tell them, if you're going to date or go with someone or consider marrying, don't ever marry anyone you can't ask any question, any time about any subject and not get a nice answer. Don't do it. Because if you do, you're building a wishy-washy foundation of relationship. There's a way to build a foundation. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, read slowly. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That means our foundation gives us access to the power of God in our lives. Amen? And then he says this in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the Devil's schemes. Let me tell you about the devil's schemes. I can tell you where they're located. I can tell you the headquarters. And I can tell you exactly where they reside. Between your ears. Every one of you. That's headquarters for the devil. The mind of man. Your carnality. Your human nature. Your tendency to look at where things are and what they are and not who he is and what he can do. We have a tendency to do that. And so he says, if you take this stand and you're in me, in my power, that means you're living a life that I can, that you're living in my power and strength. Then he says this, then you can put on this armor that I have available to you. Verse 12 says, for our struggles are not against flesh and blood. But look at this. He says, our struggles, struggle, don't even ask, add a plural to that. We have a struggle, being carnal. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, one, against the authorities, two, against the powers of this dark world, three, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, four places. All right, let me tell you what, let me define those four places. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh. That's man. That's humanity. Man. Our struggle is not against flesh. Man. Flesh and blood. But against the, listen to this, but it is against the rulers. That's, this is the government. Okay? Against the authorities, government is the rulers and the authorities. Let me continue on. Against the powers of darkness in the world, that is the pressure or or the, the mentality of the world that you're living in, society. It's called peer pressure. What's peer pressure? I'm not going to ask this. I was going to ask how many have a pair of Nikes on today. <clears throat> My daughter owns stock in it. Well, I like them. You like that. That's what you like. Because everybody, oh, yes. Because everybody else has them on it. You see, that's a pressure. Am I saying to take them off? No. No, am I saying to not wear them? No. I'm just saying these are things we have to deal with. We have to deal with flesh and blood, man. We have to deal with government. We have to deal with society's norms. And then this last one, he says, on the fourth one, he says, against the spiritual forces of evil. There are spiritual forces of evil. Spiritual doesn't mean godly. It's a spirit form of evil. You can't see, you can't touch, you can't feel, but you know it's there. It's evil. And he says, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That means the realm and power of Satan over this earth with the domain of demonic presence that tries to come in. He says, for our struggle is not against anything other than these four areas. Then he continues on. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now, in the Word of God, this is the only obligation that God gives you in order to have victory. That's it. You hear what I'm saying? Put on the full armor of God. Well, I'm going to run out to the first conference I see and buy every book there. No. There are 225,000 new books on Christianity written a year that are opinions versed on the Bible. So why don't we just go with the Bible? Have you read this book? I have great friends. Now, I've got some friends who have written some great books, and I really mean great books. But it's not a week that somebody spiritual said to me, have you written this book? No, I haven't read it. Well, you need to read it. I know, but I read the book. And what it's talking about, I read for myself. 
I know you're going to think I'm uncontemporary and I'm out of the loop, but I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing that exists that I haven't found in the Word of God and through the revelation of the Holy Ghost to me. He has shown me. He has proven and everything that the books are written on. And I'm not saying quit reading. I'm just saying these are supplements. But you only need so many supplements. After a while, you're going to have a handful of pills you have to take every day that keep you spiritually strong. You're just drunk with supplements. Stay with the Word of God. It will not fail you. It will give you a strong foundation. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, this is the year of battle. Look at this. Here's the other side. You may be able to stand your ground. <clears throat> Stay put. Stay strong. Stay fundamentally unaware that even though you're in a battle, <clears throat> that God's word doesn't change I'm his child, and I'm in this for the long haul, and the end of this is going to be to my victory. I'll see God get the glory in this battle. Stand your ground, and after you have, listen to this, after you've done everything to stand, period. A lot of people try to run that on to the next paragraph. It is not part of the next paragraph. It's saying this. When you've done everything, when you've done your best to build a foundation, stand on it. Stand on it. Amen? Stand on the Word of God. <clears throat> there was a great songwriter that's in heaven now and his wife, but many years ago, and they kind of ran in the circles I ran, they were getting ready to go out and preach a revival on a Sunday morning. And they had to run by the doctor's office and pick up a prescription for his wife who was sick. Sunday morning, the doctor was a friend. They pulled up to the office and walked in. <clears throat> and when they did, his wife said, just stay here in the car. I'm going to run in. She ran in. Fifteen minutes later, she came back and she was wise as a ghost. She said, the doctor told me to cancel our revival and go home. I have a month to live, two months to live with cancer. It's all over me. And it, her husband went, I can't believe this. We're going to preach a revival. <clears throat> We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're in the ministry. <clears throat> These things shouldn't happen. I'm serving God. And he said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to go pre I'd, I'd rather die in church. Because they listened to the report. It was awful. <clears throat> they went to preach the revival. She became weaker and weaker and weaker. Week went by and week went by. She was at the point now her health was going down, her deteriorating. She didn't have strength, losing weight. And one morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, he woke up and his wife wasn't in bed. And he thought, something wrong first of all. I bet she's praying. And so he was going to get out of the bedroom, walk down the hallway to the living room, to a couch where he knew she would be praying. And when he started to walk down in the dimly lit night of the early morning, he saw her standing in the middle of that aisle. 
She was standing. She had her hands like this. I know this is a true story. I mean, I didn't read this one. I heard it told by her. He was, she was standing in the middle of the aisle. Her husband came to her and said, Honey, what's wrong? You okay? I mean, has it hit you in the head? What's wrong? She didn't say a word. She was standing. He looked down, and she was standing on a Bible. And he said, What are you doing? She said, The doctors can't help me. Medicine can't help me. Man can't help me. The church can't help me. Nobody can help me. But I remember something you preached. When nothing else works, stand on the Word. And she said, I put the Bible down, and I stood on top of the Bible. And I said, this is the Word of God. And beside anything else that exists, I'm standing on the Word of God that you're the Redeemer and the healer of my mind, body, spirit, and soul. And I stand on the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you what happened. They went back to the doctor the next week, and she was completely free of any form of cancer. Am I saying that if that doesn't happen to you, you don't have faith? No, sir. I'm saying her foundation and her faith in God caused her to do. When you do all you can do, just stay there. But make sure where you're staying is on the Word, on the Word of God. When you've done all you can do, put on then the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, you. That's what God requires us to do. But if you look at the beginning of that, he says, I'm going to give you armor to be able to stand. The next verse says, starts all over again. We don't run those together. He continues. Stand firm then. He says, after you've done everything you can do, stand on the word of God and continue to stay there. Well-doers, people with good intentions, Wonderful Christians, I don't care who it is that comes to you and goes, oh, are you feeling okay? You know, my uncle died of that. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, that happened to our family, and they lost everything they had, but praise God, we still love Jesus, you know. Uh-uh. You'll never hear God talk like that. <clears throat> That's why you have to take a stand. See, against the schemes of the enemy. Stand firm then. And he says this. And here's how you're going to do it. Because you cannot have this armor. I have to give you. This comes from the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you if I've ever preached a message this year. On the power in your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship you have with the Holy Spirit when you're saved and He indwells you. And it's a relationship that you can gain through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is for today and is absolutely 
applicable to our lives as it can possibly be. I experienced it. I know it. I would not stand before you and give you a false doctrine or a lie. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit's involvement, baptism, is real. I know it's real. And I know it'll strengthen you and change your life. It changed 12 disciples into mighty men of God that were able to stand death. You say, one didn't. Yes, one named Matthias came back. He replaced Judas. And you know the story about Matthias. All the rabbis sat around the corner. When Matthew came, his name was Levi, and they changed his name to Matthew. Nathaniel's Bartimaeus, and they changed his name from, from, to, to Nathaniel. All got changed. Matthias comes after Judas is gone, and if you sit around a bunch of rabbis, they'll tell you they changed his name. His name was Zacchaeus, and he changed his name to Matthias. Zacchaeus that was up in the tree? Yeah, Zacchaeus that hit the ground and said, everything I have I'll give to the poor and I'll restore everything that I've stolen. He said, I'm going to put on the full armor of God and I'm going to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ and I'm not going to waver. And he rewarded him and he'll reward you the same way. That little tax collector became a great man and ended up being a bishop and he was martyred for Christ. They had the power to face death without fear or reservation through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's them. That's you if you want it. Stand firm and use the belt of truth. Truth is such a powerful, powerful, powerful strength. So he says this. If you fight God's way, he will win his way. <clears throat> the battle that God teaches us to fight is spiritual in nature. <clears throat> Our battles come with God's provisions, with his victory, and with his weaponry. Listen to me about the weaponry of God. The weaponry of God is not tangible. It's not verbal. Keep your mouth shut. You can't fight the enemy with your mouth. And you can't fight your enemy with tangible things. They're not, God's weaponry is not tangible. It's not verbal. It's not from man. It's not strategic, but it's divine in nature from Jesus Christ. I'm telling you how to be dynamic and powerful in God and bring glory to him. If you fight God's way, he'll win his way. And for the purpose that he has set for his glory. Every battle you have, God has a purpose for his glory in it. And when you give the glory to God, you're going to grow in God. And not in yourself. So determine today to put on the full armor of God. To put on truth. That's the first thing he's talking about. Around your waist. And then the breastplate of righteousness. 
he goes on to say, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, on continuing on, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you, look at this, can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then he continues to say this, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Then he continues on and he says this, and pray in the spirit. Now I want to tell you something, I researched that. Because I have a bunch of brothers that don't believe in the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came with great eloquent interludes about what that meant. And then I started searching the Word of God and I started talking to deep, powerful men of God, world-renowned men of God. And I said, when I see that, it says to pray in the Spirit. If it was a small S, I'd be okay, but that capital S catches me because that is a term for the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> not the spirit of devotion or the spirit of love or faith. or any, This is the pray in the spirit. On all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests, listen, with this in mind, be alert. Then the last thing, be alert, keep praying for all the Lord's people. And so he's saying this. The armor of God is this, put on truth. Then he says, put on righteousness. Then he says, wear the gospel wherever you go. Then he says, wear faith as a protector. Faith is not your little gavel of power. It's God. It's a protector. And let your salvation become your mindset. I'm redeemed. Helmet. And make the word of God your sword. Listen to this. To cut through all the lies and false doctrines that's entered the church world today. This is what armor does. And pray in the spirit all the time for everything. And then he says, and to be close to Jesus. Alert and ready. I asked some very, very learned men. When I read this and I'm saying pray in the Spirit and these people are saying that the Holy Spirit was given, yes, we know that, and it was strong during the apostolic age, but at the end of the apostolic age, these things quit. And what they're saying is that we can't lay on hands on the sick any longer and be healed, that we aren't baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, that the divine things that happened during the life of the apostles, the apostolic age, ended when Paul, when John died at the very end of all of this. So there wasn't anybody there to administrate it. And Jesus told us in the beginning of Acts chapter 1 and 2 that you'll receive power at Deutimus, that continual power. And this was a word to the future of all futures that we can live and work and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And no man controlled the start or the end of it. It is an eternal power from God and God alone. And it's for you and for today. And it will change your life in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. 
Pray in the Spirit. Ask God to give you a hunger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He'll fill you, change you, and he will cause you to have a totally different. You'll go through a hope so and a think so to a no so relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts, the Bible says in 2 and 3 that Peter was coming to the temple with John one day. And here's the Peter that doubted him and walked away from him and said, I don't know him just a few days prior to that. And now he's coming to the temple. And there's the same lame man that was, blind or, uh, that was crippled for years that he walked by. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Every day. When he, but when he got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, on the giving of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, this time he walked up and walks by an old Bob sitting there and Peter's coming to the temple to pray he's the same guy in a way but when he gets there he walks up and Bob goes hey Peter you got a quarter I can borrow and Peter stops and he goes no but what I have is what I didn't have what I have I'm going to give you what I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus. And that power of the name incorporated with the infilling of the Holy Spirit caused the blind man or the lame man that he'd walked by for years to stand on his feet and begin to shout and dance and praise God because there's power in the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And it's fundamental and it's strong. Then he says, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Be alert and ready to be used to defeat the enemy. Oh, the weaponry of God starts with a firm foundation. And then every area of your life, every part of your life is covered with his armament. And you're ready at any given time not to fight your battles but to bring glory to God through the battles he brings to you. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you this. I'm not trying to get you to believe a doctrine. I'm not trying to get you to join a Pentecostal movement. I'm not trying to do anything that socializes or commercializes this incredible gift. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is simply this, that when you're saved, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's in you. And you can't get any more saved than when you're saved. You're saved. But he said, I want to give you extra power. He said, I'm going to give you power. We saw it in the lives of the disciples. He said, I want to give you strength, and I don't want you to struggle I don't want you to have a, a, a weak walk with me. I want you to have a strong, and it's the natural progression of the believer to be saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's just saying, I've got these things for you, and I want you to have them. And when you realize that when you were saved and you were filled with the Holy Spirit, that you say, what is this baptism? Do I lose control? Does something happen? Do I start shaking or shimmering? No, it's none of that. It's supernatural in the fact that you're allowing God to bring what's in you out of you. He's already there. And you're raising your hands to him, and you begin to worship him, and you say, Lord, I need the strength. I need this power. I need to be what you want me to be. And I, I'm trying on my own, but it's a struggle. But God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and when you start doing that, you may be driving down the road. You might be in bed. You might be washing the dishes, or you might be down here. But when <clears throat> you surrender, as only God can help you to surrender, all of a sudden, 
you're going to be praising him one day and you're going to come up and say, Pastor, I really don't understand this. But I know I was praying one day and I just, the Lord just touched me and I began to pray in a tongue that I didn't know. And I'm going to say, you know, you're not, join the club, you're in, I'll give you a seal of a prayer. Huh, you're going to experience something that nobody can take away from you. A treasure that you wouldn't trade for anything in this world. A change in you that you were saved and on your way to heaven, but a change in you that will cause you to look at the devil in a different way. You're not going to go devil chasing or devil hunting. That's foolishness. But when he comes, you're going to say, here's the word. And I've already built a foundation. And I stand on the word. Now Satan, come against that. And when I begin to pray, I'm going to realize that when I pray, the presence of God comes, not because of who I am, but because of who he is in me. And I begin to pray. And when I begin to pray, then I begin to worship. And when I begin to worship and praise, then he can take my tongue, he can take my life. And I begin to worship. It's the sweetest thing to learn to worship him. And that tongue come out that's real and it's valid. And you begin to worship God and you create a devil free zone around you that no Satan or devil is permitted to come in. It's called the presence. There's nothing like it. So this week, the weaponry for the battle. We have it. We have it available. It's ours to have. It's ours to possess. Stand to your feet with me. How do I get it? Do I need to go to a class? I'm saying classes may help. I don't know. Do I have to fill out something? Do I have to write an essay on why I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why I need the power of God? No. Then how, Pastor? The how comes from your desire for him. The how comes from your desire from him. I want Jesus in my life. I want him to save me. First, I'm going to ask you this. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. And you go, well, I've got a question if I am or not. That's enough to get it fixed. I want you to come to the altar right this second. And let's get that fixed first. If you have sin in your life and you need forgiveness... Come. I'm not looking for numbers, or if, if everybody's all right, that's fine. But if you're not and you need, as they come, there'll be people surround you right this second. <clears throat> Anybody else? If you're watching online this morning, you say, Pastor, I've got things in my life I need out of my life. That's what I'm saying this morning. I know we can all filter ourselves to say every one of us are there, but I'm talking about blatant things that we're doing. We need God's help and change. 